Pastor Xavier Reese and the benefits that flow from a surrendered life. If I don't die to self, it's me, myself, and I, the trinity of darkness. But if I die, man, the harvest in my life is so great. My wife blossoms. My kids have boundaries. My kids receive the benefit. Other people benefit. And I benefit. Here's a simple principle. If you die, you live. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The world says you get ahead any way you can, even if it means running over people. But God's people are called to run the race by a different set of rules. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us to the book of Galatians for today's important lesson in finishing well, called Living the Crucified Life. Let's listen. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the message is entitled, Living the Crucified Life. The Bible tells us that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that. Jesus also tells us that he came to give us life and life more abundantly in John 10.10. Now, allow me to propose to you that in view of these two scriptures, God declares that every believer, male and female, has a new potential of life by virtue of being in Christ, living by faith. In other words, what God can accomplish through you, you could have never, would have never been able to do if you had not come to Christ. And I'm not talking about being an engineer. I'm not talking about being a doctor. I'm talking about life in the spirit. But how much more will your natural abilities and talents and your direction in life be enhanced as you put them in the master's hand? Fears, emotions, difficulties will come and they will go. We do not make decisions based on my ability to understand my emotions, my circumstance, my situation. I make my decisions on obedience on the word of God. If God says, obey me if you feel like it, we'd never obey Obey me if you can understand it. Obey me if it makes sense to you. He says you obey. Now, there are so many things we do understand that the few things we don't are really insignificant, but they will be the test grounds of our life. Very important. The question that we need to ask ourselves is how can we live up to our potential? Paul gives us three principles that will allow us to live up to our potential in our life of faith in Christ here in Galatians 2.20. Let me read it for you. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Three principles that will help us accomplish our potential. First, the principle of death. I have been crucified with Christ, the first portion. Second principle, the principle of life. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Then the third principle, the principle of love, the last portion, who loved me and gave himself for me. The principle of death, principle of life, principle of love. Here is your formula. Ladies, you bake, there's ingredients if you want a good pie, right? You can't deviate. 
Men, you're out there, you've got a formula in, 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 in math, you can't deviate. You've got to have that formula if it's going to work. Here's the formula, three simple principles. Let's begin with the principle of death. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. If we are going to live up to our potential, we have to acknowledge that we have been crucified with Christ. Absolutely, no exception. And I'm not talking about head knowledge, and we're going to see this, okay? Because what I know in my head has nothing to do with what I live out in my life through my heart. Everything I possess in my head is just information. Once I live it out, I make it mine, it becomes truth in my life. Now, that information is always true, but it doesn't become truth in my life until I live it out. Okay? That's important. So notice, first of all, it implies death to my own direction in life and purposes before Christ, before coming to Him, if they are contrary to the written Word of God or the express will of God for me. So maybe before you came to Christ, you were going a direction that was contrary to God. And I'm not talking about a, a job or maybe you're a doctor or maybe you're an engineer or whatever you're choosing for that, though that may affect it. But the thing is, if you were living in such a way that it was ungodly, then of course, now you can't continue that. Whatever my direction, whatever my will was prior to coming to Christ, once I come to Christ, that switches right away by his revelation. I acknowledge him, so there's death. I am no longer on the throne. Now, too often Christians at times feel that once they come to Christ, they give up everything and they become slugs. No. God hates lazy people. Read Solomon. He hates them. He's like the guy who's out there. He's like, come on, get out of bed, go to work. He's like, oh, I can't. There's a line in the road. Then the other prophet says, he's like the guy in the bed. You know, he just kind of turns over just easy. And then like the hinge on the door. Work is good. The curse brought the weeds and everything else, but work is good. Now, you're living for work, it's bad, but work is healthy. Work is good. The disciples were fishers of fish. Now they're called to be fishers of men. Whichever direction you were going before Christ, now God has turned you around. Now you're working for the kingdom. All of the things are legitimate, but they're not the priority of the kingdom, as we'll see. Paul was a religious Pharisee, right? The tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews surpassing all of his contemporaries, yet he says, I count that all as a pile of manure, fertilizer, compared to the excellency of Jesus Christ. He used to kill Christians. Now he preached to make people Christians. What a change. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a practicing physician assisting Lord Horder. And then in 1927, he became a spiritual physician preaching the gospel. <laughs> Not that being a doctor is wrong, but the call came to him, and he considered that a higher call than being a medical doctor. Now, if God has called you to be a medical doctor, then that's what you should do. But if God calls you out of that, then you should do what God's called you to do. But God will be the one to direct you, not a preacher, not anybody else. God will speak to your heart. It's important to understand that. Now, notice, secondly, it implies death to my own man and his bondage of sin. Okay? I have been crucified with Christ. Implies death to my old man and my bondage of sin. The old man was crucified, past tense again, Romans 6.6. 6. When I came to Christ, the old man's crucified. But the old man and his sinful passions have also been crucified by my will of obedience in Galatians 5.24. I make that decision daily. Before coming to Christ, you couldn't say no. All you could do is just put it off, procrastinate. <laughs> For whatever the situation was, Okay. Now you and I have ability to say no to sin. It feels so good to say no to sin. 
to be able to walk away. I'm not saying there's not going to be no tension, no struggle. I live in reality. I'm a man just like you. When I showered this morning, I didn't fill up the bathtub and walked on it and then showered. <laughs> I'm just like you. Our old man is to be reckoned dead daily, Romans 6, 11 says. He has been crucified, and he's got to be put to death every day. Survival is the strongest drive in your life. You may be a very weak person, but you have somebody put his hand across your nose and your mouth and start to suffocate you. And you are going to be the strongest you have ever been. You know why? You want to live. There's the old man. The strongest drive in the old man is to live. You and I have to crucify him daily. He doesn't lie down willingly. He doesn't lie down by himself. He has to be crucified daily. Our thoughts need to be brought into captivity, 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5. I have the ability now. You know, it's been said that you cannot stop the birds from flying over your head, but you certainly can stop them from building a nest on your head, right? I know the warfare. I know the attack. I'm mature enough to deal with it. I know what's happening. Things come up to my mind, that dirty side. Lord, I just thank you that you died for that sin. Thank you for your grace, Lord. I just thank you for your love. Now walk. <laughs> That's discipline of the Spirit. Romans chapter 7, remember Paul describes the wretched man that I am, who shall deliver him from this body of death? Because he says that that I don't want to do, I end up doing. That what I end up doing, I don't want to do. Now, a mistake many people make in Romans 7 is they believe that that's the warfare and it's showing the warfare because of the struggle. Look at the context. It is Paul's autobiographical sketch of his life. After coming to Christ, he still believed that he could accomplish in his own ability what only the Spirit can do. And he comes to the end of himself and he says, a wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? As you know, that statement speaks of a cadaver, of a person in, in the old times, when you kill somebody, they would take that dead body and strap it to yours, torso to torso, arm to arm, leg to leg, and you had to carry it. That decomposed body would overtake your living body and it would be a gruesome death. That's the picture. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? Not what, who? And Paul is saying there, I don't find one good thing in me. Oh, wretched man that I am, who? And he finds out that only in the life of the Spirit, in Romans 8, can he accomplish it. Paul thought he could still do it. Now, some of you still think you have it in you, and you're not trusting the Spirit of God to do it, and it's a life of frustration, willful frustration, because you still are trusting your own abilities to accomplish what only the Spirit can do. And you must come to the end of yourself and say, who shall deliver him from this body of death? He doesn't say what. Not psychology, not 12-step program, not positive mind confession. Death. Death to live in the life of the Spirit. Paul in Galatians gives us the warfare. In chapter 5, verse 16 and 7, he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There is your cue. There is your key. How to accomplish. How to get over it. But he says, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Here's a warfare. This is reality. This will go on to the day I die. I live in tension. The old man wants to rise. I've got to slay him every day. I've got to let Jesus Christ reign in my life. I've got to yield to the life of the Spirit. 
Now in Romans 7, you see an aspect of the warfare, but the context is not warfare. The context is Paul thinks he can still do it. And he came to a point in his life that says, I can't do it. Greatest words that will ever come out of your mouth. Here you are on a vacation. You've got it all down. Us men, we want to conquer. We're going to do 1,000 miles a day. Here we go. And we're going down the road, and all of a sudden, our wife says, Hun, are we on the right road? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we don't want to look at the map. We don't want to stop and ask anybody, right? I can do it. Greatest words out of your mouth. I can't do it. Well, warfare is real, but defeat doesn't have to come. I'm not preaching perfection. I'm preaching great potential. He came to give you life more abundantly as well as myself. Now notice thirdly, it implies a slow, painful death and always certain before all. It's, it's boy, it, it hurts to die. You know, when I was in the world, I lived for myself. It didn't hurt. Now there was a lot of pain and consequences. But to live for myself, man, it's a blast. <laughs> I do what I want, say what I want, go where I want. Doesn't matter. But now you come to Christ and you have to die daily. That is a painful death because you have to deny yourself. You have to acknowledge your error. You have to think of others before you. You have to say, I can't do it. Whoa. Our pride stands up against us and says, no way. It's in you. Just dig down deep. And the deeper you dig, the darker it gets. And the emptier you come up with. Crucifixion was practiced by the Phoenicians and the Persians and then picked up by the Romans and refined. It was the most gruesome type of death. Ultimately, you suffocated. Your joints all gave out and you just suffocated. It was gruesome. It was devised to make you suffer. Death to the old man is a constant death which brings pain. But it's good pain. Pain is good. God has given you nerves, pain nerves, senses, and when your side hurts, it says something's wrong. So you go check the doctor, I says, good thing you came in, man. Your appendix almost ruptured. Now, if you didn't have that pain, you'd die. So pain is good if you respond to the pain to deal with it. But if you ignore pain, it'll kill you. So certain pain is good. It's warning signal. Something's not good. Take care of it. You're driving down the street with your car and your oil light comes on. You say, oh, look. They give us a nice little light that goes with this car, too. <laughs> Car's going to blow up if you don't take care of it. Our death to sin is slow, painful, painful process that will one day be finalized. Therefore, we glory in the cross, Galatians 6.14. One day it will be over. Until then, we live in tension. Interesting, they would never crucify a Roman. It's all for foreigners and for strangers, never for a Roman citizen. Our death to sin apart from the cross is impossible. You cannot say no to sin apart from the cross. In your own ability, in your own might, you cannot. How often have you said, I'm never going to do that? And you're a Christian. I'm never going to do that. Well, you're trusting the wrong source. What you should say is, God, help me by your grace. Don't ever let me fall to this again. But every time you say, I'm never, it won't take long. 
You're trusting in the wrong source. Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians 2, 2 through 5, he says, you know, I didn't come with excellency of speech or knowledge, but with the power of the gospel, the power of the spirit. Nothing wrong with learning, nothing wrong with natural things and all that, but when we put our trust in those things, that can't accomplish for the life of the spirit. They're all legitimate. They have their place, but never for the life of the spirit. Yet God may use some of those things through the power of the spirit, but the spirit's the source. There's the power. Jesus illustrated this principle as a grain of wheat falling into the ground. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides what? Alone. It remains alone. One. But if it dies, it produces much grain and fruit, John 12, 24 says. Now, if I don't die to self, it's me, myself, and I, the trinity of darkness. But if I die... Man, the harvest in my life is so great. My wife blossoms. My kids have boundaries. My kids receive the benefit. Other people benefit. And I benefit. Here's a simple principle. If you die, you live. And the benefit is everybody else around you too. <laughs> Let me give you some ways that we refuse to be crucified with Christ and forfeit living up to our potential. We look back to regrets and enticements of the past. Luke 9:62, Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, he or she who is constantly looking back to the past and looking upon regrets cannot live up to their best potential in the kingdom to accomplish kingdom business. Because you're living in regret. Oh, if I wouldn't have died, that wouldn't have happened, this and that. Oh, why? You know, let me ask you a question. When you leave here after the service, you get in your car. And if you look back and began to drive home, how far would you get? You'd crash. There's what happens in many Christians' lives. They refuse to die to self, and they're always looking to the past, so they're always crashing. You can't get far forward looking backwards. Real simple. Second, we look so far ahead that we lose our joy and trust in God for today. Oh, what are we going to do? You know, the mortgage is due next week and, you know, this happened. Now, if you're being responsible and God allows certain things to happen or natural things happen and tragedies do happen, difficulties do come, you're trusting God. I'm not talking that you can be a slug beating home eating donuts and don't do anything, okay, like I said. But here you're trusting God. Then why worry? Worry is a waste of time. Now, be concerned. Be diligent. Do all you can and what you're supposed to. But he says, don't worry. Because most of the things are distractions to keep you from Christ, from depending on him and getting your eyes on him, and you're running around crazy like a chicken with your head cut off. Listen to Jesus, Matthew 5, 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow, nor reap, nor gather in barns. You ever see a couple of birds out there with a wheelbarrow? Bring it in here. They don't worry. They trust God for it. We're all, we're all worried. Are you not more valuable than they? Well, what a rebuke, huh? You think God cares more about birds, blue jays, sparrows? I don't think so. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your stature? Any of you can grow 18 inches by worrying? Sheesh, if we could, we'd all be doing it, huh? 
So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Have you ever seen a little lily petal? And just feel it. So smooth, the color's so great, it smells so great, and yet it's so fragile that it tears easy. But water can't penetrate it. God made that. You take the finest cloth that's made in manufacturers, it can't compare to that. Is God more concerned about the flowers than, than you, than myself? Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink? And what shall we wear? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. We used to live for that. Right? We didn't care about certain things, but I'm going to have a shiny little car, you know, because I got to take the Bettys out, right? And I don't care what I can't afford. I'm going to go charge up $500 worth of clothes because I got to look good. And that was our life, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to show off with, what we have, what we possess. On different levels, but it's there. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. One day at a time. One day at a time. Now, these principles can certainly be twisted by people, and they are in the church. And they see God says, all these things people seek out, God will give them unto you. So they teach you prosperity and wealth and health, and you're to have it, and God's going to give it to you. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about trusting, depending upon him, not living for things, but trusting him for things, and being content in your life. That's what he's talking about. Not complacency. Not covetousness. Let me call your attention to the words of Jesus about his cross and living up to our potential, okay? These are important. In Matthew 10, 38 and 39, the cross is identified with Christ and the gaining of one's life. He says, and he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So the cross identified with Christ and the gaining of one's life. When I identify with Christ and lose my life, I gain it. Matthew 16, 24. To pick up your cross, you must lose sight of yourself. Real simple. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself is first. That means lose sight of yourself. The reason we don't pick up our cross is we're still on the throne. When you don't lose sight of yourself, you'll pick up your cross. When it gets heavy, you put it down. The only way you do that is to lose sight of yourself, get your eyes on Jesus. Then you pick up your cross, you follow him. But you must lose sight of yourself. The old man. Mark 10, 21. Jesus looked to the rich man, remember? He loved him. And he says, one thing you lack, because he said, I've kept all the Ten Commandments. What do I have to do to be saved? He says, go your way, sell all what you have, Give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. And come and take up your cross and follow me. Notice, take up your cross and follow me is in all of these verses I'm giving you. In different conditions, different scenario. Did Jesus want the money of the rich man? Of course not. He pays heaven with gold. <laughs> what did he want? He wanted his heart. He wanted that young man to know that when he says, I've kept them all, he was self-deceived. He might have kept them outwardly, but in his heart, he broke them. He wanted the young man's heart. If he would have said, all right, Jesus, keep him, follow me. And he will touch 
the very heart of your life. Pastor Xavier Reese and the blessings of sweet surrender, a blessing that's available to all who desire to put Jesus first. And there's much more to this study next time. But if you won't be able to join us, you can pick up a copy of this message just by asking for the title, Living the Crucified Life. It's available on CD for only $4. And this is a great way to share this ministry with your friends and loved ones. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Living the Crucified Life. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. What's the secret to a life of peace? That's coming up on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com